Welcome to the panel discussion, Delivering on the Promise of the Cloud, sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services. Here's today's moderator, John Gilroy. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Brett McMillan, Director, Federal Government, Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense and Intelligence Group at Lidos. Today, we're going to talk about delivering on the promise of the cloud. And boy, I've been studying up on this interview, and I, I talked to a guy named Steve Bennett. He's got a PhD from Stanford, so you know he's got to be smart. Not only that, he worked, uh, he gets a PhD in computational biochemistry, and he does a lot of big data. And the last time I talked to him, he said that in a few years, there'll be 163 zettabytes of data out there. I mean, this is almost unimaginable. So the question for you, gentlemen, and I'll, I'll start off maybe with Keith here, is um, so how can agencies cope with this? Should you just quit their job and run away? Or how do you cope with all these zettabytes? Well, the, the key is, um, is how do you best leverage that data through analytics? Because clearly, uh, we're not scaling the number of humans uh, to, to the size and the scale of the data uh, to deal with zettabytes. So the key is, how do I smartly apply data analytics, smartly store that data, and then apply analytics in order to uh, get value out, out of it, basically pushing up uh, to, the, to the human decision makers the best kinds of information for them to look at. So it's about leveraging um, the data through analytics and through better, uh, more efficient storage mechanisms, which is really where the cloud comes in. Um, which I think uh, uh, will uh, I'll defer to my my August colleague here. <laughs> so how do they how do they juggle everything? Yeah, Brett. so it it's not just uh, how do you cope with the amount of data because the federal government's been really good for a very long time at collecting data. The question is how do you make that datable usable and how do you make it usable not only for the agency that collected it but throughout the agencies of the federal government and then most of the data that we've the citizens have already paid for they don't need to pay for again so it should be available to commercial en entities to citizens and so what we've been doing is we've been working with these agencies to do analytics as was mentioned but also just making that data available so that organizations can build on top of it so i'm gonna throw another fun fact at you mm -hmm. so can you handle it okay the fun fact is is that all these zettabytes of information the single larger producer of this data in the world is going to be the federal government that's even another curveball at you <laughs> so what about the increasing scale too well it's um it's really all comes around it, it, data is the the lifeblood and the currency of the future um uh innovation and uh and really the future marketplace that we're going to live in so um federal government plays a really important role not just in uh, generating data, but also po policy-wise and how best to secure and store that data and so that only the right kinds of individuals can access that. Um, the federal government has a unique role um, and uh, their job is to, uh, to lead the way in how to do this securely. Um, so um, we were working across the, uh, our, our customer, our federal government customer, uh, to help them figure out how best ways to store uh, securely and then analyze that data. So it could be citizen services, health, uh, national security, transportation. Um, there, there's um, many aspects to this. Uh, and data comes in, in many different formats. It could come in uh, just personal information, uh, like uh, uh, data around, around a person, date of birth, um, passport information, but also uh, we're generating lots more data on uh, uh, using uh, sensors, sensor types like uh, um, Internet of Things and um, areas like uh, traffic cameras, um, things like um, uh, satellite imagery, uh, and then medical data, generating data around uh, healthcare, and then uh, things like cancer research. All sorts of data, different types, and the key is how do you bring this together securely to bring insights that will allow us as um, just citizens to live better, more productive lives, um, and also at the same way innovate uh, in a way that allows the, um, uh, the commercial industry to, uh, to leverage these for betterment of our nation, our world. You know, about years ago, when I wanted a bigger hard drive, both you and I would probably drive down to Micro Center, get a bigger hard drive, and put it on a machine. Mm -hmm. It's great. Well, things have changed a little bit, you know. And so with the sudden increase in data, maybe that's the motivator to look at enterprise cloud procurements, isn't it? I mean, that, you can't go back and forth to the Seagate store too many times. So you have to look at it from an enterprise perspective, don't you? 
Sure. Yeah. And so the enterprise solution is something that uh, these agencies are moving forward with. And it's being driven not only by the uh, large data sets, but also the usability of these data sets and pulling them together in ways that uh, we can better serve the citizens. Let me give you a specific example of that. Uh, Over at uh, the Medicaid program, for example, now Medicaid and CHIP, the uh, Child Health Insurance Program, these are for the people in most need of health care coverage. Think about foster children. Think about those single uh, poverty levels. Uh, mothers. And so Medicaid gives money to the state and local governments. And they're doing a great job of uh, providing that data. But when you start asking questions like, is the right poverty level child or poverty level young mother getting the right prenatal care that they need? Those questions are kind of hard to ask because the money goes out from CMS but then you have 50 states that have the data in different formats, and plus all the territories. So the cloud allows all these organizations to normalize that data, bring it back. And then what you can do is you can look across the spectrum and say, in this zip code, are the right poverty level mothers getting the right care that they have? And when you start doing analytics against that, you're starting to serve the citizens a lot better than you could in the past. And these are things that uh, the cloud's bringing, and it's providing a promise or a way of uh, solving problems that in the past was really hard for them to do without the cloud. And just on that note, on the cloud, um, what we're transitioning from when you mentioned you know, going and purchasing more hard drives is we're moving from a um, IT storage compute as um, a enterprise resource to a shared resource. Mm-hmm. And we actually are then transferring from a, or transforming from a kind of a poverty mindset to an, a wealth mindset when it comes to compute and store. No longer do I need to think of compute and store as a scarce resource. And so then I can only do certain things with that information. Now what I'm able to do is go through a lot more um um, experimental activities to determine what if analysis, mm-hmm. like what if, uh, how do I know that I'm getting the better, the best, giving the mo- the best prenatal care mm-hmm. uh, is a question now that I can answer and explore in a lot more details because of the, uh, that I don't need to go and procure another hard drive. And so moving from scarcity to abundance, and then moving from also from a um, ownership to a rental model is another, mm-hmm. I think, a key aspect that we can we can t- talk about that as well later. Yeah. But the idea is I don't have to own it, so I don't have to pay for it all the time. I can only pay for it when I use it. And so it's more tied to outcomes than it was in the past. You know, Brett, uh, you mentioned 50 states before. I think the people in this town think about the 135 agencies. Mm-hmm. So what about, you know, can the move to the cloud impact more than just one agency at a time? Sure. And we see that um, in multiple areas. We were talking about data sets earlier. And um, it's very common when a single agency generates a data set, that it's usable for multiple different agencies. So, for example, pick any of the data sets out there. Uh, A very large data set um, is a a Landsat data set. Mm -hmm. And so this is the um, pictures of the Earth that has been taken from space. And these files come down, and there are these big, unwieldy files that come out. And you can imagine all the agencies of the federal government that need to utilize these. So it's USDA, it's Forest Service, it's Bureau of Land Management. But beyond that, it is um, state um, municipalities. It's uh, it's all these companies that want to build something on it. So we've worked with the Landsat data to take that Landsat data and break it down into manageable chunks. So and then build these standard. Um, RESTful APIs so that other organizations can build things and it can be a simple API call to now ask the question, has this little section of land, this you know half an acre of land, how has it changed in the last year, decade, two decades? And by uh, taking that data that is um, owned by um, the taxpayer, but managed by Department of Interior, and making it as this public data set. Now we have mm-hmm. multiple government agencies being able to do really rich things for the citizens with that data set. You know, um, Keith, we just heard the word standard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, RESTful API. And there's people who listen who know exactly what that is. I want to just, well, one word, standard. Yeah. And so um, when it comes to this low-cost compute and store, are there standard operating procedures or governance policy that will enable this interagency, um, you know, procurement? Um, well, so um, we talked about APIs and RESTful interfaces. Um, with that are what we're calling uh, microservices, microservice-based architectures, um, breaking up 
the data and the applications in order to be uh, to scale and to uh, better access the information. So from a technical architectural perspective, yes, there are standards around how you do that. There, and we're really taking our, our cues from the large, we'll call them internet-based companies that have uh, addressed this and proven out these architectures. From a, a governance perspective, there are certainly security uh, standards that need to, to apply. You know, For instance, uh, one additional way that we're now lever- working with our customers is by uh, standardizing security policies and uh, with the cloud and other uh, um, uh, kind of broad layered approaches to architecting, we're able to leverage security accreditations, uh, inherit that as we move up the stack. And so standard appro- approaches, not just with architectural, but with security policy, with how I deal with privacy data, and then ultimately, how do I, how do I uh, transfer from um, measuring um, operational imp- impacts to, to measuring outcomes. So, Brett, it seems like the magic sauce has got something to do with metadata, taxonomy, being able to scale between agencies, and uh, it's exactly in your strike zone. Yep, absolutely. And and you're uh, following up on the discussion we're having about standards. One of the things that happens is when an agency or a group of agencies agree on a standard way to deploying things on the cloud, what happens is um, that more organizations can uh, do more now in the cloud than they could in the past. Because up until um, the last several years, what was happening was federal agencies were picking a particular program that had a particular challenge and saying, the cloud can help this. And yet, what should happen in all these agencies is any program that could benefit the, from the cloud should be able to quickly and easily take advantage of that new technology. And by setting up these standards that are enterprise-wide or agency-wide, now each program area can say, I can benefit my program. And it's no longer just the programs that have a bright spotlight on it. Any, uh, and by having a wider um, utilization of the cloud or wider mm-hmm. ab- ability for organizations to work in the cloud, we're seeing um, new systems and new innovations come up in some areas where you never thought that would happen in the past. And just piggyback on, on that, Brett, is the uh, the idea that um, uh, instead of taking the mindset of moving one application to the cloud at a time, um, what we're advocating uh, as a system integrator is a portfolio of applications mm-hmm. because uh, that's where you really achieve this, the, the efficiencies um, mm-hmm. and also unlock the data uh, because you're really needing to un- re-architect that set of applications uh, that then uh, leads to better scaling and then also re-architecting, uh, like we talked about, the, the, the application interface. And then we can extend that across not just that agency, but across agencies. Yeah. And, and Lidos is doing a great job of not only doing that, but also once you move these, um, these groups of applications into the, uh, into the cloud, you now have tools that you never had before for greater collaboration. And you're starting to see some cross-functional things happen in uh, program areas that never really happened before because now they're on a common platform. It seems like what a uh, combination of Amazon Web Services and Lidos, you can be the true silo smashers. You know, the words <laughs> from that company. I mean, yeah. it's like it's putting it in work boots. It's okay. It's been the ceiling hard to break, hard to break, hard to break, but it's almost a structural way, you know. And, and I've had enterprise architects show me diagrams of enterprise and it just puts me right to sleep it's it's much it's much more a dynamic it's almost a whiteboard instead of a a printed piece of paper it's like okay and this is how dynamic and flexible you have to be it's not certain assumptions you have to just flex with new things that come in the market daily Mm -hmm. one innovation that uh, i I, you know amazon provided was um little icons for for architectures Mm -hmm. um and it's it's simple but (laughs) when you when you have a standard iconography for Mm -hmm. describing storage and compute uh, it really helps bridge those gaps because every architect likes to use their one approach but when you're forced to use a, a standard standard set oh there's the word um, i was afraid icons, of yeah. right yeah. It, it then you you start to see oh I, what i was doing was very similar to what i what this person over here was doing and i can then leverage best practices a lot easier yeah, I want to talk about uh, your father's Oldsmobile, but your father's Oldsmobile was a laminated 11 by 17 piece of paper, <laughs> an eight-point type. You remember those right. and going, mm-hmm. people just never use them except the guy who wrote it. You know, it's uh, you have to have to liberate the data, or maybe right. maybe data is the is the new killer app. Mm-hmm. It's the data itself. <laughs> so, 
And and so when you're talking about the um, standards and we were talking earlier about um, procurement and acquisitions, one of the great things that we're finding is that when you set up these acquisitions uh, correctly, then as new technologies are coming out, you can actually morph these systems into the latest and greatest technologies without having to rewrite an RFP. Um, one of the challenges that happened throughout the federal government is that um, you have companies performing against a set of requirements that are fixed and were written a long time ago. And we're seeing more and more of these acquisitions uh, being set up in such a way that these systems can respond to whatever changes are happening, the changes required by the public, the changes required by the administration or Capitol Hill. And uh, so uh, and what's happening in the cloud is we're constantly coming out with new products and services that can do things in different ways, whether it be artificial intelligence or machine learning or the managed databases or whatever. And so what will happen is we're able to um, set up these procurements or the government's able to set up these procurements. So now these systems are not static as they used to be and they can constantly innovate. Instead of being physically modular, it has to be intellectually modular, doesn't it? It does, mm -hmm. right. And that's where the partnership between Alidos and Amazon comes in. The standardization approach that an Amazon brings, coupled with the uh, the system integrator who really is looking at the mission for our customers and then how to fit that mission uh, into the standard approach that Amazon provides, it's a good fit. And so what we're trying to advocate is it's about the cloud, but it's also about how we leverage that cloud smartly. And that requires uh, some nuance around how to fit the, the mission applications in. My guests today are Brett McMillan, Director of Federal Government Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense and Intelligence, Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the panel discussion, delivering on the promise of the cloud, sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Can federal agencies break down silos and lower costs by moving data to the cloud? Absolutely. That's why Lidos has partnered with technology titans like AWS to deliver industry-leading and secure cloud services. Beyond cloud, agencies can also reap immediate benefits by incorporating AI. Let a system do the simple tasks, allowing employees to focus on the most critical functions for their agency. Learn how Lidos helps unleash the power of the cloud and exploit the benefits of AI. Visit Lidos.com cloud to learn more. Welcome back to the panel discussion, delivering on the promise of the cloud. Sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Brett McMillan, Director of Federal Government Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense and Intelligence at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. I was at an event a couple weeks back. This is a great speaker. His name is uh, William Ivanina, mm -hmm. and uh, an FBI guy who's working at uh, ODNI now. And he talked about... You know, the FBI has estimated that in just one year, 2014, the losses from cybersecurity were $100 billion with a B. I mean, that, <laughs> I mean, that, that there's a whole lot of uh, room to point fingers. Do you point fingers at the CISO? You point fingers at the CIO? Who do you point fingers at? You know, maybe, well, well I don't know, Keith, should the system, should security be baked into the system? Or do you want to point fingers? Well, absolutely, the, system, the security should be baked in. Uh, and at Lidos, that's what we, that's what, that's our approach. Uh, and, but it's, cybersecurity in particular is an evolving topic. You can't, you can't rest on your laurels thinking that your system is secure because you, you baked it in to begin with. You always have to continue to uh, evolve. That's primarily because the diversity of the environment, the users, and the adversaries who are who may be trying to get in and take that $100 billion worth of data uh, is uh, very diverse. Uh, and therefore, it requires, um, you know, t taking a very uh, methodological approach to to baking security in, but not stopping there, continuing to e look and evaluate and innovate on how we can do security better. Uh, and so it's more of a it's more of a yes and and kind of issue where you can't stop just because you think you've got it baked in. Um, and so we're constantly evaluating the events, persistent threat landscape, uh, talking to our vendors, talking to our, our partners like Amazon, understanding what they're seeing in the market, what they're seeing in, in, um, in the threat landscape, and then integrating that in to deliver even more secure systems to our customers. Well, Brett, I would think that Amazon is, is, is so many different places, so much out there, you really understand the cybersecurity threat real well. Yes, and uh, so we spend a tremendous amount of time on uh, on security. But if you really get down to the basics of really good cybersecurity, it really starts with 
knowing what you have and being able to respond to those threats that are out there. And one of the things that we found with so many of our uh, customers is that in, in the old model, in the data center model, to ask a simple question like, do I have an operating system anywhere in my network that has a known vulnerability or a new vulnerability mm -hmm. we just found out about? And in so many enterprises, that question is a hard question to ask. You're going to probably have to ask that question of multiple different program areas, multiple different data centers. And being able to quickly know what you have in an old model is sometimes really hard to do. Um, what we found is when these agencies move to the cloud, um, those questions you can answer with a single API call, a single query, and you can say, do I have that? And then the next part of it is how do I respond to that? And so AWS provides multiple tools and services to not only monitor these things and see if your systems have drifted out of compliance, but also give companies like Lidos, who's um, working uh, with the federal government, the tools to quickly respond to these things in ways that it was really hard to do in the past. So for example, in a, in a typical um, environment, if you wanted to just quickly rebuild your entire environment environment, um, that's kind of hard to do when you're um, constrained by only what you have in the data center. In the cloud, you can just spin up an entire separate organ or entire separate system and then bring down the old system. So those are some of the really basic things that when we're helping out Lidos and the federal government on, now they can take that and build on top of it to do some really neat um, advanced cybersecurity. Mm -hmm. So Keith, they don't have to spend... Uh 16 hours a day worrying about security, they can spend 16 hours a day helping the federal agencies achieve their goals. Right. Um, and also, uh, just like we were talking about in the, the previous segment, it's all about how do I uh, apply analytics and um, you know leveraging cloud scale capabilities and API calls in order to surface to the, uh, the humans, the analysts, the right kinds of information so that they're not digging through all the details. And then that also allows uh, fewer people to to worry about, as you mentioned, John, security. And then others can can focus on mission. Although I would say security is part of mission, and so we we never we never mm -hmm. want to relegate cybersecurity as a, a secondary activity. It's all part of mission. You know, Brad, I was uh, listening to a productivity expert on a podcast yesterday, and he said two things you got to start off with. First of all, eliminate activities and then automate activities, and then you can take and focus on the real problem at hand. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking notes. I'm saying, well, it's almost like the conversation we're having here. It's, yes. it's eliminate certain activities that, that you could be better spent doing other things, and then automate. So eliminate and automate. They work hand in hand. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, and, and so we're seeing that throughout. And whether or not we're using um, things like uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence to automate things, or if we're using more um, mundane or basic level type uh, things, um, we're seeing huge returns that are happening throughout the federal government. The other thing that we're finding is when you go into a, um, a different way of operating, we're seeing surprises. Um, and so, for example, one of the surprises that we're seeing, a, a very large agency I was working with, um, they moved everything into the cloud. And in the old operational model, what they had was that all of their best servers, all of their best uh, storage, all of their best equipment went to production. Mm. Next on the pe pecking order was testing, because for cybersecurity, you have to test that really well. And last in order was development. Hmm. And when they moved to the cloud, they um, realized they could uh, pay for about three times the number of resources that they could previously. So they went to all the developers and say, hey, if you come up with an idea, try it out. Here's your, here's your account. Try it out. They had no idea how much they were starving those developers for resources because what was happening was developers would come up with an idea – it would take them three months to get the resources. They gave up before they even tried it. Wow. Now people are trying things in the same day, and they're trying it with near instant access to best-in-class tools, best-in-class solutions. And what these agencies are finding when they give their developers the ability to do that, not only do they increase their cyber threat uh, because they're able to do more on security, but the speed at which they're iterating all the systems has just dramatically increased. It goes back to the poverty versus wealth mindset that we were yes. talking about earlier. Whereas uh, if uh, your, your, your smart, innovative people uh, aren't able to really try out their ideas because they have to go through too many processes or they get the leftovers from production, uh, you're you're really not innovating uh, and keeping really abreast and a pace of what's happening externally. But when you give them access to the, to the best on a rental basis, not an ownership basis, that allows that allows our most innovative 
uh, individuals uh, to really flourish and then to come up with ideas that we would have never thought of otherwise. So, Brett, you should take your business card, get a red pen and scratch it out and put down productivity specialist. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's that really what it yes. is. I mean, mm-hmm. it's taking these basic, simple human concepts of being more productive and then putting them in a more sophisticated environment that can generate results just like you talked about. Mm-hmm. Going back just on automation, uh, one area, cybersecurity obviously, is a, is everybody's mm-hmm. asking how, how can we automate cybersecurity tasks? And, and that's a uh, that's one thing that we're working on hard. I, I will say, just, just as a commentary, cybersecurity is a very difficult, mm-hmm. I don't, we don't want to underestimate the um, the difficulties in in the cyber landscape and the threat landscape that we deal with currently uh, it requires lots of energy lots of uh, of expense in order to just make sure that we're secure because it is a battle that we're under right now and so while we want to automate and we should automate the tasks we, we can't rush too fast to automate because of the nuances involved we make we have to make sure that we are secure uh, and and that does require people right now it requires a lot of people uh, over time though it's a big it's going to be a big uh, effort from us I know it is with Amazon as well mm-hmm. as the commercial world to understand how we can really automate uh, in a way that keeps us safe but takes away some of the burdens that the humans are, are undertaking yeah. right now. Brett talked about this uh, idea of workloads. So my question to you is, is um, what does it take to, to realize the value of combining workloads, rethinking workloads, and then mm-hmm. leveraging analytics? I mean, this is exactly what he talked about in his productivity. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, it, it, it goes back to... You know, Treating data as your first-class citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, data uh, is is the the most important um, commodity uh, that we mentioned in the first segment. Uh, the fact is that um, right now we we kind of think of it from an architectural standpoint as uh, you have your application, you have your business logic, you have your database, and you think about in that in that context, the actual data is like the ne- is secondary to those kind of topics. But when we're when we're wanting to leverage um, analytics. We want to leverage the cloud. You need to start with data and figure out your data architecture and data engineering uh, is the key to that. Uh, then you can apply analytics and then allow that data, whether it's a data lake you want to call it or a data hub uh, or just smart storage. Ultimately, uh, you're able then to uh, provide access uh, and insights across uh, many customer segments. Last week, I was talking to a big smart guy from NIST. They're all smart up there. His name is uh, Michael Garris. And he's talking about artificial intelligence. He said, you know, now it's a national priority, you know, to, to be use artificial intelligence some way. And, and I think for someone like you, artificial intelligence is just a little tool in the toolbox in order to increase productivity. So if it increases productivity, let's use AI. If not, we're not going to use AI at all. I think that's what it boils down to, doesn't it? Yes. And so when we look at uh, how you use machine learning, artificial intelligence, uh, what's happening to so many of the federal workers is uh, we talked about this earlier. Data sets are getting so large that individuals aren't able to um, uh, digest that information and do things that we asked them to in the past. So when we automate, when we bring in machine learning and artificial intelligence, we free up these federal workers to do these jobs we're really paying them to do, make judgment calls, be creative, come up with better solutions for the citizens. And we're seeing this throughout the federal agencies, um, anywhere from, uh, you know, in the science field. So, for example, uh, NASA, we've been working with them. We've been taking pictures of the sun and studying uh, sunspots and fo- uh, solar flares, which have a dramatic impact on the weather here in the United States or in the world. And the problem is we've got you know, 40 plus years of pictures out there. And how do you analyze that? It can take humans years and years and throwing lots of people at that. Or we can train some machine learning models to go at that and take a look at that. And we think we're going to get to the point where now we can start predicting these solar flares. We're seeing that there. We're seeing it in other areas. So, for example, um, how we give out money to states under grants management. A lot of that task is is repetitive. And take the repetitive task and apply automation to it. And now you can have the people working in this grant management office actually doing the things that we um, expect them to do. So I look at this as we're helping the federal worker be more productive. You know, Dr. Ian Buck said that the typical radiologist has 6,000 images to look at a day. Well, you know, your eyes are going to get a little blurry by about 2 o'clock. And so you have to take the tools that uh, Brett was talking about, applied AI to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. And so AI, um, uh, I, I agree, is a national imperative. that We, we need to uh, continue to invest uh, in science and technology, in our uh, starting at really elementary school and moving and moving through uh, post grad, in order to ensure that we are uh, training our next generation, in order to um, advance this 
national priority because our our competitors in the world market, maybe adversaries as well, are are not standing still and they are also investing a lot. When it comes to things like imagery or MRI, uh, just one example of that is is uh, the the ability to reduce the cognitive burden on, on humans so they're not making errors and then also to identify new things, new, in, in, like uh, cancer, you know, identifying cancer at, at a much earlier stage, which which then opens up multiple uh, new treatment options that weren't that aren't available if you catch it later. Um, it's just one great example. Um, but I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, emphasize that. Um, there is a mantra. We'll just apply AI. We'll just apply AI and everything will be itself. Give me some AI and slap it in right. there. <laughs> uh, you can't apply AI unless you have data. And data mm. has to be unlocked. And unfortunately, right now, just because of the way uh, legacy architectures uh, have uh, have have evolved, uh, data right now is is not in a in a in a in a good place to be to be to, to have AI applied to it. It's a landlocked it. lake. It's a land <laughs> we, we have a we have a we have landlocked data. And so we need to uh, open that up and rearchitect it and expose the data data and then to expose uh, data that's labeled uh, because you, that is when you can really apply AI. AI did not this this third wave of AI if you kind of go back uh, to the 40s was not did not occur without the the breadth of labeled data that we now have available to us. So let me just follow up on that. That's a, uh, you mentioned uh, cancers and the medical mm-hmm. side. A real world example of how AI is being used well is um, there's a company out there that uh, um, has developed a smartphone app. And so we know for detecting skin cancers, the key is early detection. Mm-hmm. And uh, yet most of us aren't dermatologists. And we don't really know if that lesion right. is a suspicious tumor or whether or not it's a freckle I've never noticed. And how do we get these people to go see their dermatologists at the right time without flooding them with um, uh, people that just discovered a new freckle? And so this company has used um, Amazon recognition, machine learning, and our serverless computing called Lambda, where you can, in the privacy of your own home, take a picture, and it will just come back and say, this probably is nothing, and wait for your next routine appointment to, to go see your amazing. doctor. Yeah. Or, you probably this is probably suspicious. Go schedule an appointment with your dermatologist right away. And we're seeing amazing outcomes come from that type of technologies. So apply this to the federal government. These are problems that could not have been easily solved not too long ago. That technology really didn't uh, exist a decade or two ago and certainly didn't exist in, in the palm of your hand with a smartphone. Start applying those to all the problems that are happening within the federal government. So I like to think of machine learning and artificial intelligence as it's giving agencies the ability to solve problems that they never could solve before. You know, Keith, my daughter will say the national parks are an important national asset. They are. Some people in this town will say, you know, federal data sets are a very important national asset as well. And so I, I, I'm, I'm thinking about images and data sets and, and um, you know, can AI be used to protect these assets, these data sets, and, and leverage them and get information from them? I imagine it can. It certainly can. Um, it, it can in, in multiple ways. Obviously, to AI applied to cyber, making sure that we're, they're, they're safe, but also uh, applied to who is looking at these data sets. Perhaps you could identify patterns of usage that would um, recommend that some that this data be be used by by others because it's a similar usage pattern or use case. Um, and then um, uh, what we are doing at Lidos is is taking some of the the great um, artificial intelligence models that have been trained on lots of commercial data, and then trying to figure out how do I take that, those great models and apply something we call transfer learning to a smaller data set so that uh, that the, the, the national assets that our federal customers have can really benefit from, from AI, the AI revolution, like from object detection to natural language processing to speech recognition. Satellite like imagery, Satellite health imagery. information right. crosses mm-hmm. all fields, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. My guests today are Brett McMillan, Director of Federal Government Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense Intelligence at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, on the panel discussion, Delivering on the Promise of the Cloud, sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Can federal agencies break down silos and lower costs by moving data to the cloud? 
Absolutely. That's why Lidos has partnered with technology titans like AWS to deliver industry-leading and secure cloud services. Beyond cloud, agencies can also reap immediate benefits by incorporating AI. Let a system do the simple tasks, allowing employees to focus on the most critical functions for their agency. Learn how Lidos helps unleash the power of the cloud and exploit the benefits of AI. Visit Lidos.com slash cloud to learn more. Welcome back to the panel discussion, Delivering on the Promise of the Cloud. Sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. My guests today are Brett McMillan, Director of Federal Government Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense and Intelligence at Lidos. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy. Now, many have observed that silos of information in the federal government all over the place. Is it possible that this machine, intel- machine learning and artificial intelligence can, can, can that actually make data available between agencies? Um, yeah, I think certainly. Certainly that's the case. Uh, and it also includes making them available in a, in a way that they can access through things like uh, commercial cloud services. Uh, for instance, uh, our uh, NGA, which is the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, uh, has been making more uh, uh, data available for um, uh, other agencies for humanitarian disaster relief like um, FEMA, um, even EPA or, or other organizations that can better understand some of the um, implications uh, that can be derived through analyzing uh, satellite imagery. That's just one example. But the idea of applying AI and making that data available in commercial cloud formats then allows agencies to discover and combine that data together. It's not just about discovery, it's about com- combining that data, which is really where the secret sauce is. And there's a lot of secret sauce, especially with satellite images. Now they have satellites now that can see through the clouds. Mm-hmm. Half the world is in the dark. <laughs> they have images that can come. And that's what I think that's the role yeah. of the federal government. These, again, Brett, we're back to these federal data sets that have so much value. Yeah, and it's it's not only across agencies, but also um, when you have multiple different agencies working together, what can they do to make a, a big outcome. So for example, um, I, you take some data sets around crops or uh, t- data sets around uh, farming. So you've got USDA and um, USGS, uh, US Ge- Geological Survey, combining together to make data available. And then what can organizations do with that? So John Deere, for example, takes this data and they put these IoT sensors in the field. They put these IoT sensors on the, on the tractors. And now they're taking all this data together, the weather data, the um, geospatial data, and the data that they're collecting from these IoT sensors, and they're making the farms more productive. So this is going to sound audacious, but can if you have government agencies sharing together, you apply some machine learning and artificial intelligence, can you solve world hunger? Well, maybe. Well, you can control the water supply, and that's the key factor there mm-hmm. is that in many parts of the United States, the water is the key component. If that can be controlled through artificial intelligence, that's a big win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually are advancing uh, not just analytics, but we call model-based system engineering. Because mm-hmm. what you have to really do is apply really physics models to some of these problems, right? Like the hydrology problem uh, requires uh, sophisticated models for how water is transported, but it also requires up-to-date, real-time information about precipitation uh, and about um, uh, usage in order to get the fidelity that you need to make some of these predictions. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what when you're able to combine historical data, uh, physics-based models with real-time information through IoT devices, now you're able to make uh, very high-fidelity, exquisite predictions uh, that can um, really advance uh, our science and our understanding of really, really complex problems. You know, uh, we're on Federal News Radio. If you listened for 24 hours, you'd hear all kinds of catchy terms. And you know the catchy terms, data lake, big data batch processing, machine learning models, a data hub. I mean, these are like shiny objects. So the question for you two is really, uh, how can my listeners, how can the listeners here avoid the next shiny object and, and focus on the agency goals? Like, that's what they have to do. The shiny objects are fine, but get the job done. 
So you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there, there will always be that next new technology that Human everybody wants to Human beings love shiny objects. But, <laughs> but what happens so often is the solution that's going to have the biggest impact for the federal government and the biggest impact for the citizens sometimes is not that latest, greatest technology. Is not that latest, greatest uh, shiny object. So, for example, um, the Veterans Administration, they had a website where VAs, in order to sign up for their uh, benefits, they would have to go in and they'd have to use the exact right version of Internet Explorer and the right version of Adobe. And what it would return back, it would say upgrade things. Well, that was actually wrong. You actually had to use a lower version of Adobe to actually fill out things. And so they were finding that people that were successfully able to do it was down in the single percentages. And so what they did was they said, "Let's, let's do something fairly simple. They designed a web form. A web form that's accessible from smartphones, from any any certain uh, type of computer, just an internet accessible web form, and that's a technology that's been around for decades. And so sometimes what it is nothing is, was big data, by the way, <laughs> exactly. And so so sometimes what you need to do is just start with the problem, and then come up. And sometimes these solutions are complex. Sometimes we bring some of the latest and greatest advanced technologies, and sometimes you can just use something that's been around for a long time. Yeah, Brett, that's exactly what I was going to mention as well. Uh, instead of th- focusing on the, the terms uh, today like uh, Data Lake or Data Hub, uh, what we focus on at Lidos is uh, what is the mission outcome? What do we want to achieve? What do our customers want to achieve? So we, we have a process to go through to identify mission outcomes and then honestly start the other end of data. Uh, so you want to you look at data and mission outcomes and how can the data that I have be used in a way to achieve a mission outcome, then everything in between, the data lakes, uh, the data hubs, the applications, the databases, the analytics, those are all tools in your toolbox, as we talked about earlier, in order to achieve that mission objective or outcome. You know, Keith, earlier we talked about the productivity expert and eliminate and automate. Now, it's one thing to go to Jason's Donuts and automate things, okay? <laughs> now, with the federal government, we have all kinds of compliance and regulations to worry about. So mm-hmm. this is uh, adding the difficulty, isn't it? Yeah, but you can use automation really to, to help achieve compliance uh, much more, more more easily. And that's what one big objective that we have at Lidos as well is to, to in, really, you're, you're trying to cut through the bureaucracy to get to a, into outcomes. And so a lot of these things where you, it's, well, check the box here, check the box there. How do I, how do I create um, a well-founded documented package that allows me to prove that I'm compliant without requiring hundreds or thousands of man hours? And so that's where automation can really help. So, but some can argue that well, ADWS has been there, done, they got the T-shirt. They, they're a compliant repository for that data. So that's five checkboxes from the beginning. And we inherit everything we can from, from, <laughs> yeah. from Amazon. We, yeah. We, we like to say that we remove the undifferentiated heavy lifting. So those um, compliance things that uh, just come with the service uh, makes it so that organizations can now build on top of that. And Lidos has been great on helping the government agencies do some automation. And um, and we're seeing organizations do things like um, DevOps and DevSecOps. And so what this means is that uh, they've built their security into the actual development. Uh, and so the software developers are checking in their code. And these systems now, it's no longer a point in time, am I compliant? But instead, it's a continuous monitoring and a continuous continuous modernization that's happening. And so when you start doing that, now these systems can grow in a very secure way in ways that can better serve the citizens with the changing needs that are coming each day, each year. Yeah, one, one example is we working with Amazon and some of our um, just automating the security policy process, we reduced by 70% the labor hours required in wow. order to achieve uh, an ATO process. Mm-hmm. Well, Brett, you ready for a question about Malcolm Gladwell? (laughs) (laughs) Shoot, I'll give it a try. Well, we all know the famous Mm 10,000-hour rule. And uh, what they've recently found is that, well, he was kind of right, but, you know, kind of close. What people are saying is that, well, if John Gilroy practices a cello for 10,000 hours, and I'm thinking about the Redskins and everything else, and then Keith practices for 10,000 hours, and it's concentrated, it's dedicated, then he is going to actually going to be at the NSO, and he's going to be the one who is the world-famous cellist. And so this 10,000-hour rule doesn't always apply. So there are a lot of repetitive tasks in cybersecurity. Well, if a human has to just do something rote for hours and hours and hours, it seems like that's where you can apply the artificial intelligence or automate the system because that, that'll, that'll make it more thorough. 
Yes, it's the artificial intelligence. It's the, all the other tool sets that we provide. So um, when you take a look at some of these things, some of the things that um, have been around for a long time should be really easy for agencies to implement. So in cybersecurity, one of the things that would be um, super important is intrusion detection. Every system should have an intrusion detection system. Well, that is something that um, uh, in some instances takes a fair amount of work to get there. You have to buy the right software, the right equipment, and have that. Well, we've taken the learnings from our millions of customers throughout the world and we've said wait a second they all have this challenge and it should be easy to deploy so we've deployed come out with a service called guard duty which is intrusion detection system which you log in and in a few minutes you've set up your environment for intrusion detection i'm not saying that that solves all your cybersecurity problems but that takes something off of their plate and now they can focus on all the other security things that are out there and so what we're trying to do is take those common mo- problems automate it and make it really simple for people to deploy so if Keith has a, uh, a new task in front of him and he has uh, 10 points on his checklist, he could start off with checking four of those because he's going to have old Brett figure that one out before you begin. Right. We, we, earlier we talked about standardization and how that's been very helpful in order to advance uh, innovation and usage of cloud resources. That's also the case in cybersecurity. Mm-hmm. When you can start describing things, with this, events with the same nomenclature, that's where you really get into um, the ability to automate cyber practices. Right now, the hardest thing about cyber is understanding context. You have you see events. Um, you don't know if those events are routine. Is this one anomalous? Some of the reasons for that is because uh, the the complexity of 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 what they mean and are if if they're described in one context. Uh, with one system and a different context and a different system, then I, I can't really say, I can't really match uh, those two events as being correlated. Uh, and so by standardizing the approach, which is what the cloud provides, as well as applying some interest, some, some smart AI ML correlation engines that kind of help do that contextual bridging, that's when you can get to um, a much higher level of cyber practice with, lo- with lower resources. No, Brett, I made that silly story about the 10,000 hours practicing a cello. Then I said, wait a minute, it's orchestration. The orchestration (laughs) is AWS, Amazon Web Services, and Lidos. That's what's Mm -hmm. going on here is that you both don't play, you know, there's different instruments that have to be played in order to sound good. It's orchestration here where you get two that actually are, are, what's the word, synergy? I guess that's the word here, isn't it? (laughs) Yep. And by ourselves, we can't make an orchestra. So, <laughs> right, yeah, and that's so, it. So it, it's great working with Lidos where, where they're able to um, take some of our best-of-breed services and um, apply them to federal government agencies and problems in ways that uh, they never really have been able to do in the past. Yeah, part of that partnership or synergy is um, uh, you le- taking what Amazon provides and then uh, interpreting that in ways that our customers can consume it. Uh, and so it really helping our customers can cons- uh, understand uh, the security posture of the cloud um, and then potentially adding in the compliance layers that our customers need in order to better and more effectively leverage the cloud. And we, yeah. do, we do that across the board. Yeah, so let me give you an ex- example of that, um, that automation that's really helping out. Uh, one of the challenges that uh, Congress has is that, uh, that there, um, the number of requests that come to them, the number of the questions is not linear. It spikes <laughs> up and down depending on, we just recently have an election. And so these congressional voicemail um, systems will fill up. And they have the same staff, whether or not there's a really big issue happening or not. And so one of the challenges is how do they handle that? And so if there's something very controversial happening, these voicemail boxes are filling up faster than people can actually get them out. And so companies have have looked at this and said, well, what if we use Amazon? It can scale up. It can scale down. We can use things like serverless computing like Lambda that scales very quickly. And then what if we did things and use the same technology? that the Amazon Echo uses and understand that to a text-to-speech. And now these voicemail boxes are no longer filling out. They can scale up and it's transcribing it for other folks. So a process that would take about five and a half minutes for a staffer to listen to it and transcribe it now is happening in under 30 seconds. And so they respond to the citizens' yep. needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Keith, I was thinking about uh, this whole idea of automation. And, and if you had a team and you were going to apply 40 hours of work to that team to design an IDS, no, you know, let Brett do that. You can have your team go down to an agency, sit there, ask questions face-to-face, gain mm-hmm. a deeper understanding of what the problem is. Right. Let Brett do his stuff. Right. Let him do the 16 hours of all the PhDs and data science. And right. then you can 
understand those needs, and then all of a sudden you have the synergy of two and two is five. Right. Yeah, we're, we're certainly not um, not afraid of the cloud. The cloud is coming in, and we're welcoming the cloud because it allows us to deploy our, our smart domain experts uh, to solve you know the higher-level problems that our customers have. Um, and then as as Brett's team continues to innovate and provide new services like a guard duty, uh, then we'll evaluate that, bring it in. Uh, as, as when we once we can, you know, do the translation of compliance, uh, and then we can take our resources that we're working that to something else. There's there's no shortage of of good problems to go work, and so we're happy to uh, to leverage uh, and stand on the shoulders uh, shoulders of of Brett and his team. So, Brett, we're going back to an earlier phrase that you used, the phrase that pays in Federal News Radio. It's uh, you want an agency to start with a question that they can't answer today mm-hmm. and then seek a way to use the data that they have to answer that question. I mean, that's really what we're talking about right now. I mean, and that's when the folks are asking the questions, that's what they should be asking is, is we have that. No, no. What about these these images at HHS and radiology? What about mm-hmm. the satellite images? Well, we never had time to, you know, NASA used to crowdsource that solution. Remember, NASA used mm-hmm. to just say, yeah. Third grader from Des Moines, come on in and help us understand this, not crowd testing. So that, that's really where we're going at is where the agencies can solve problems that they'd like to solve, but they, they don't have the assets or the time. Yeah, that's what's really super exciting is that uh, is that for decades, IT organizations within the federal government have been limited by the problems they're willing to solve by what was available in their data center or was limited by what their budget have, and then they were limited by time to um, deploy those things. And today, when they can uh, move into a cloud environment and get near instant access to best-in-breed solutions, what we're finding is these uh, federal government agencies are tackling problems that they never really tried to do in the past. And so today, when uh, organizations move into and they leverage all the tools that are in the cloud, their ability to solve problems is really only limited to their imaginations. That's where Latest comes in. Exactly. Is, exactly. is trying to understand that and having that. It's a social skill set of asking the right questions to find out in a polite manner, but taking all that, that they have right in front of them. You're right. I mean, innovation happens when people kind of rise above the, the, the daily grind and look out and, and ask themselves, what else is out there? What else can I leverage? And who could, who could potentially answer the problems that I have right now? And it's through collaboration, partnerships, collaborating with our customers, uh, as well as getting access to uh, the diverse data and ideas that this great nation has in order to solve and innovate at the pace that we need to in order to stay abreast and, and really keep up with the, the world economy that we're facing right now. I'd like to thank today's guests, Brett McMillan, Director of Federal Government Amazon Web Services, and Keith Johnson, Chief Technology Officer and Chief Engineer, Defense and Intelligence at Lido. I'm your moderator, John Gilroy, and you're listening to Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Delivering on the Promise of the Cloud. Thank you for listening to the panel discussion, Delivering on the Promise of the Cloud, sponsored by Lidos and Amazon Web Services, here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network.